0: If the creek's been rising or the weather's coming up Or you found a little nugget or your horses won the cup Put the belly on, ring Macca
1: Australia's waiting for you Good morning and welcome to Sunday morning A little cooler for most of us around the place But I bet you're off having a camp or travelling or doing whatever you Let us know Our number this morning, 1300 700 222 Or you can ring 833 1020 with 02 in front of that Love to talk to you, good morning Want a hand mate? Ring Macker, someone will give it a go.
2: Hi Macker, how you going? My name's Bill, came out here to harden originally to for the grain harvest, and then I went on to uh, Griffith for the grape harvest, and the grape harvest has been an absolute disaster this year for them. they are talking about 25% of yield, what they normally get, too much water, A lot of disease. You're talking to farmers that are, one fellow said, I'm just plowing in $800,000 worth of uh, produce this year. Been a bit of a disastrous year for them. Uh Same goes with the prunes. They grow prunes out here and massive crop of prunes, but they're all little ones, so they can't use them. This is a beautiful place. I can't believe it. First time I've ever been here and I've traveled extensively in Australia. The town is booming. Like every shop in town is full. You go to most country towns in New South Wales and Queensland, the shops are just closing down. Griffith is a real booming
1: little town.
3: There
1: you go. That's good news. And the thought for Easter is, Easter spells out beauty, the rare beauty of new life. It's all about hope, isn't it? Hope and renewal and all that. I hope that's inspiring you. I think it's a great time. I love it. I love it, I love it, I love it. Lots of things this morning. Our number, thirteen hundred seven hundred triple two. as I said. This is interesting. Speaking of the loss of exotic items such as whale skulls, we remember we spoke about the theft of a whale skull last week down at Eden. My grandmother had a real tiger skin mounted to black felt. It had claws and all, but no head. It was hunted and shot legally at the time in India, and as an eight-year-old I remember proudly taking the skin to Mount Nelson Primary School to show and tell. All the kids sat on it for the full day at school as the lessons took place. My granny, Jasmine was her name, was very eccentric, and around 18 years ago she chose to hang it in a rural property in Tasmania. The property was broken into and the tiger stolen. If anyone knows the location, please contact Crime Stoppers as the family would love it back. And speaking of animals, I heard a bloke talking about large flocks of Australian magpies, says Dave, Dave McRae, that was Lee, and he had about 60 or 70 in Telangata. Dave says, about this time of year, the young birds get kicked out of the family group and form flocks as a measure of defence. Their strength in numbers. No matter how tough a pair is, they are unlikely to take on 70 birds. And from Crina, Crina Schultz, says uh, one collective noun for a group of magpies is tidings. Lee's many magpies were probably bringing him tidings of autumn. Maybe tidings of Easter, Kreena. How good would it have been to hear them warbling? <coughs> well, that's what I always say. Our emails, mackatracks at com. That's one of them. This is the all-over news. This is the all-over news. And, as usual, the news is the weather. Or, alternatively, the weather is the news. From our weather correspondent, Richard Whittaker, he says, over the past 48 hours, a cold front passing across southeast Australia has produced cold and windy weather for parts of South Australia, much of Tasmania and Victoria, and southern areas of New South Wales. Well below average temperatures have resulted, as well as highland snow. As we approach the winter months, cold fronts will play an increasing role in the weather over the southern states with so-called cold outbreaks resulting. These fronts are the boundaries between cold air surging up from the southern ocean and milder temperature air masses to the north. Fronts are often well defined, sometimes producing massive temperature drops, changes in wind direction, together with shower and thunderstorm activity, all concentrated in narrow zones. Snow often follows in higher altitude locations. Sometimes a series of fronts can move through in quick succession, separated by 24-hour periods, and this situation can produce a prolonged spell of turbulent weather, including highland snow. Fronts were named after World War I battle zones, where the two opposing armies clashed along well-defined lines. The so-called Western Front was the most famous of these, with Eric Mariah Remarque's novel All Quiet on the Western Front, a World War I classic. The Cold Front, a harbinger of the winter to come. And some general news. Geelong Textiles, the oldest remaining wool textile business in Australia, started in 1922 as the returned soldiers and sailors' woolen mills, are a wool-weaving and dyeing business. They're conducting a crowdfunding campaign for environmental upgrades to help reduce their gas consumption. Listen to this. Last year, from June to October, our monthly gas bill, and this is probably applied to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Australian companies, their gas bill, due to price increases only, went from $8,000 to $28,000 per month. CEO Floyd Legg says... We are looking to install upgrades to the boiler that will reduce our gas consumption and our CO2 output by up to 25%. So they've got a crowdfunding campaign. And if you're interested, I'd go to www. Mill, all one word, Geelong And from Geelong to Cloncurry, inspired by Dame Mary Gilmore, the Cloncurry Prize Poetry Competition is now accepting entries from across the country. Amateur, aspiring and famed wordsmiths are invited to put ink to paper, or log on as the case may be, for their chance to win $10,000 in cash. Wow. This year's theme, appropriately, is Outback Heroes, with all styles of poetry accepted. Entries for the Cloncurry Prize close on the 1st of May, and the press release is titled Cloncurry Wants Your Words. Last Wednesday at Southern Cross Railway Station in Melbourne, used to be called Spencer Street, the 100-year anniversary of the electrification of the Melbourne Suburban Rail Line was celebrated with a heritage marker by the Engineers Australia's Engineering Heritage Group, Victoria. It was May 1919. The first regular passenger electric train services began on the Sandringham and Essendon Suburban Railway Lines and by 1923 this ambitious project for electrification of the Melbourne Suburban Railway Lines was completed. At the time, it was claimed to be the largest suburban railway network in the world, to be successfully converted from steam locomotive to electric traction. It was an immediate success in terms of increasing rail patronage and reducing operating costs. This is the All Over News. During the week, I attended the dedication of a Vietnam War honour board at a Sydney high school students from that school who served in Vietnam. Approximately 60,000 young Australians served in the Army, Navy and Air Force in that longest of wars, including 15,000 national servicemen who had their birth date drawn from a barrel. If your number came up, you were in. An exciting prospect, I suppose, for some, an appalling state of affairs for others. At the dedication, the Governor of New South Wales, Her Excellency Margaret Beasley, spoke of her recollections of that time in Australia in the 1960s. I'm talking to Margaret Beasley, Governor of New South Wales. I'm at Sydney Tech High School, which had a dedication of their Vietnam War honour board. 92 students here at Sydney Tech went to the Vietnam War in some capacity. Margaret, you made a wonderful speech, really, and talked about your experience in lots of which I suppose it was the experience of lots of families at that time, when your brother or your whatever, were, were waiting for your number to be drawn or not drawn, a very and I remember myself a, a scary time.
4: It was a scary time because you got to remember our parents had gone through the Second World War, and there had been the grief of that war. They knew what it was like to then have to recover from that war in every respects, recover from those who were sort of uh, some who were killed. Like in my father's family, one brother was killed, uh, the others all served, but they all came home with their uh, experiences and that had their effects on them in, in various ways. All managed it very well and you know, became you know, the hard-working citizens of the 1950s and the 1960s that gave us, this next generation, their chances. But it was still uh, with them in very real ways. And so then to think that they might lose the next generation really hit hard to a lot of families.
1: You mentioned your mother's tears and you mentioned uh, your, your brother's uh, birth date and, and he missed out. And I also heard Ken Stevenson talking about some of the boys who got called up, immediately started drinking soap solution, I, I suspect to raise their blood pressure or something. They went through, did all sorts of things because it was, it was a war, but it sort of wasn't a war, was it? Um, Is,
4: and I think that was the whole point. It wasn't, wasn't a war. We were responding to what was seen as a need. And I think one of the great tragedies of that you know, war, I called it the Forgotten War, uh, in many ways as it was for so many years, is those who were called up, those who were already in the armed forces, those who were called up, they were really there you know, doing a very tough job and they were doing it as they understood it for the greater good of Australia and, and the region as it turned out. But by the same token, to have this negativity going on back home... It was almost uh, schizophrenic in terms of the emotions which were around it. And as I've said, we didn't do it well uh, as a nation. We didn't remember those people well. And they not only deserve to be remembered, they deserve to remember remembered very well. Fortunately, I think we've now picked that up, but I'm sure there are those who are still wounded by it.
1: Yeah, and we remembered like a decade and a half later. um, It's quite strange. Why do you think that was? What do you think it was?
4: It was the negativity around the fact that it probably was an intervention that shouldn't have been made. It's well known historically that it was a US intervention, which we then supported, uh, propping up a quite corrupt regime. And it wasn't a regime that was supported by the mass of the people.
1: You mentioned in your speech you spoke to the Vietnam ambassador, and he yes. had some poignant remarks.
4: He did, and I, it was very poignant. His comments were very poignant, because to me, it was a real recognition of the tragedy of that war, that many of the citizens of that country, and it's their country they left. But it was a recognition, and I thought it was a very empathetic recognition that some were still too scarred to want to go back to the war. And I think that's another great sadness.
1: What did he actually say? He said he
4: said he understood that there were still those who'd fled to Australia who are still too affected by their experiences of that war to want to go back. But he said it in a most empathetic way, and to me that was also very moving.
1: Could I ask you a personal question? You get the opportunity to meet lots and lots of people, which I think is probably the, the secret to your job. Is that how you find it? How are you finding being governor?
4: It's a privilege from morning to night. It's the only way I can describe it
1: gatherings like this and you meet all sorts of people Absolutely. and the Vietnamese yeah. ambassador yeah. And, and there's
4: and there's no one that you go to who doesn't have a story who doesn't have an interest, who doesn't do something for the community and in some ways I sometimes say, you know, the day can sometimes go from, you know, sort of uh, the sublime to the ridiculous and, and often the sublime is, is really those people who are doing it hard. You know, the, the families who have severely disabled children, whose heart and soul just goes into their family and how to do best for their families. And they're ridiculous. Well, what can the ridiculous be? I suppose
1: everything. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I make a joke about what the ridiculous is. To be quite honest, but it really is a privilege.
1: Margaret Beazley, Governor of New South Wales. It's lovely to meet you, and you're Wonderful. doing great for the community too. Thank you.
4: Thank you very much, Ian. Really pleasure. Thank you
1: and anyone who attended that ceremony at Sydney Technical High School could not fail to be impressed by the school, the dedication of staff and the student body. G'day, this is Macca.
5: G'day, Macca, how are you going? Good, thank you. Uh, uh, my name's Evan. I'm uh, from Sydney originally, but uh, yeah, mate, I'm just on the M1 heading back to Sydney after competing in the national band championships in uh, Newcastle this weekend.
1: Oh right, yes, that's always on at Easter, isn't it? But it usually goes much longer than this seven, doesn't
5: it? Yeah, yeah, it does. So the uh, the brass bands haven't actually finished their competition yet. They uh, they split their competition over Good Friday and Easter Sunday normally, but the uh, the concert bands squeeze all our competition in on the uh, on the Saturday and. Um, yeah, it's a little little humble brag. The uh my my band, the Northwest Wind Ensemble, we uh, actually took out the open A-grade concert section last night.
1: Wow, you'd be and pretty uh, What what do
5: they called? the the Northern the Northwest Wind Ensemble. So we're actually based out of the northwest of uh Sydney, uh proudly supported by the uh Castle Hill RSL actually.
1: Which the whole, is the Hawthorne band there, they're a pretty hot band, aren't they in Melbourne?
5: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm not sure if they made it this year, but uh, this is our first competition back after uh, four years of being cancelled by COVID. Uh-huh. Uh, so the last competition we were able to hold in person was 2019, and we were a little bit worried that um, you know bands would be scared off and, and wouldn't be able to make the trip. But uh, just for example, the, the Open B Grade Brass section had 14 different bands from all over Australia in it, and the uh, Open A Grade Brass had 12 bands from all over Australia. So... Um, yeah, the Glen Ferry Brass Band, Glen Orkey Brass Band from Tasmania and Victoria, they made the trip, and uh, Brisbane Excelsior and Brisbane City Brass also made the trip down from uh, from uh, Queensland. Oh, and uh, great stuff! Yeah, the uh, the Unley Band from uh, from Adelaide, Adelaide uh, yeah. they, they 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 put up terrific competition in the uh, open air grade concert section last night. And so, people
1: um, and people in all those states would be really pleased to hear that, Evan. It's great. What do you play, Evan?
5: I'm a, I'm like you, Mac. I'm a trombone player by trade, but no. I actually, uh, I can, com- I competed on uh, tuba last night.
1: I'm an owner. I'm a trombone owner. Um, I'm not, just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a player anymore, right? Yeah, yeah. I, uh,
5: I, I don't profess to be proficient, but I'm a, uh, you know, a, a devotee the manually operated pitch approximator. I think is the uh, technical term for a trombone, mate.
1: Yeah, you got to make the, you got to make the note yourself. It's not like a piano. You can hear. So you got to make it. You got to make sure you're on note. the, on the note.
5: Uh, that's it. you got so many different parts moving in concert with each other. It's a miracle that you get any sound at all sometimes. <laughs> Evan,
1: great to talk to you, mate. Thanks for your call. It reminds me, I used to go to the band championships all the time and I'll have to go again next year if we're all around. Good on you, Evan. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Macca. Have a great day. Thanks for your company. I mentioned in the All Over News just before 8, I went to Sydney Tech High, which is in Sydney, for the dedication of the Honour Board for Vietnam, and you heard some of that, and I spoke to the Governor of New South Wales. The mover and shaker of all that was a bloke called Ken Stevenson who's, who went to Sydney Tech High, and then he went uh, as a Nasho. And I have an email here from Leslie Stevenson. That's his wife. And she's giving another perspective about that whole time in Australia. She says, I was present at Sydney Technical High School last Thursday for their special ANZAC ceremony and unveiling of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Board. I was delighted to know you took the time to be there and thank you for making the occasion and the background of research for it known to listeners. Although my husband Ken Stevenson was a NASHO and we lived through the period together, I hadn't realised it was the 50th anniversary of the withdrawal of Australian troops this year. Ken's recollections, the wonderful, empathetic speech by the New South Wales Governor Margaret Beazley, and the research by the students, so well presented, brought back a flood of memories and have left me unexpectedly moved. Of course, my memories are of someone, as the kids are taught in history, on the home front. Ken and I started going out together at Sydney Uni. We knew that his birth date had come up in the ballot, but he was allowed to defer until his course was finished. We didn't know whether he had passed the medical or even if he would have to go to Vietnam. Some conscripts served their two years in Australia in various roles. In 1967, he went to Uni of New England to do his dip-ed, and it was there that the country doctor said, Congratulations, son, you're fit. (laughs) We became engaged that year and went ahead with planning to marry in August '68. Basic training started for him in February and it was several months before we knew that his transport platoon – he was targeted to train as a truck driver – was to be sent to replace other transport units already in Vietnam. We did have our wedding right after the jungle training at Canungra. There were many jokes about that in the speeches. We had three precious months together while he continued training at Ingleburn before I went with his parents to Richmond Air Base to farewell him as he took off in a Hercules. First stop Darwin then Butterworth, and then on to the big adventurer, a three-day journey. I've never forgotten being dropped home at the apartment. The first thing my eyes lighted on as I walked in the door was a wedding photo. I just dropped to the floor, overcome with the thought that we might never see each other again, just like every other partner of every other service person who has ever farewelled their loved one off to war. We wrote to each other every day. The letters would arrive in clumps every few days. At one point, Ken became driver for the Psychological Operations Unit, PhysOps, working with a similar American unit. For interest, this was probably the high point for Ken. He got to experience going in a helicopter, which flew over the countryside, dropping leaflets, calling on villagers to surrender and or change sides, while a loudspeaker gave out the same message, both from helicopters and from his Land Rover. One helicopter would fly at night with the voice from the loudspeaker warning that if anyone supported the enemy Viet Cong, their spirit after death would find no rest. These and other experiences Ken shared in his letters. His final deployment was driving the garbage truck. Not much to write home about there. When Ken was due for hour and hour, I sought permission from my teaching job to take time off and meet him in Malaysia. Before our plan came to fruition, he learned that his tour of duty was being shortened from the expected 12 months. So he came home to Australia for a break instead, with only two months to serve in Vietnam after that. Ken served out the remainder of his two years at Victoria Barracks before beginning his teaching career. As a postscript, about 15 months after Ken's return, our first child was born. Our little son only lived two days, succumbing to the most serious of his conditions, the plumbing of his heart being around the wrong way, so we were told. He also had a cleft nose and facial paralysis. Just one of those random things, the doctor said. It wasn't until years later that we began to hear about the effects of Agent Orange on the Vietnamese and their offspring, and possibly on our veterans. Ken heard a talk from a toxicologist who mentioned that some veterans had suffered facial paralysis themselves. Our next child, a daughter, was dismature at birth, had all the signs of prematurity, although full term, and has suffered various autoimmune conditions as well as adrenal insufficiency all through her life. We have never been aware of any channels through which we could prove a connection to Agent Orange exposure, but continue to wonder. The only help that can be claimed for veterans' children and grandchildren is psychological counselling. In the early years, Ken would joke on Anzac Day about wearing his medals on his pyjamas. That was the period when the day was not as wholeheartedly observed as it is now after something of a revival of interest and patriotism. It was also before the Vietnam veterans were welcomed home. As the years went by, Ken was more and more aware of the need to remember and learn from the past. Each year at Ultimo TAFE, a World War II veteran would give a eulogy, and Ken, by now a TAFE teacher, observed how difficult it was becoming for him. Ken took over that role, being both a teacher and a veteran, and from then on became increasingly aware of the State of Honour Boards and the stories hidden within those names, as well as the names not shown, which should have been. His other career as an amateur researcher took off, and continues. Leslie Stevenson's email concludes, These are just a few recollections of the effects on one family of a government's decision to engage in a war, and in this particular war, to pluck young men from everyday non-military life by a conscription lottery. I'm very aware that more than 500 Australians didn't return from that war, and 3,000 were wounded, not to mention the physical and psychological suffering of the people of Vietnam. Ken and I were living in Port Moresby doing church work in 1975 when we read of the downfall of Saigon. We have since seen the footage of desperate people trying to board the last helicopters. At that time in PNG, we felt very low, trying to make sense out of all the sacrifice and loss. One highlight for me of the morning at Tech High was a young man seeking me out and saying he remembered talking to me about the World War I veteran he had researched when that restored board was unveiled. He's now studying law at ANU. Apart from the excellent primary research done by the school history students, it's been heartwarming to see the mutual respect and interest displayed by alumni, veterans and current students. As I said during the All Over News, it was very impressive. Thank you, Leslie Stevenson, for that illuminating perspective. It makes me think about my school and probably your school and it takes people like Ken Stevenson and some of the staff and the students to do that research because I'd be interested, I think you would too, to know who at your school went off to war, who were Nashos and who were, you know, regular army and all that sort of thing because it's a big big thing out of your life. (music)
6: Hi, it's Kerry from Berry.
1: Kerry from Berry. Hello, Kerry.
6: <laughs> well, I'm ringing from Berry. I live in Adelaide, mm-hmm. and a girlfriend and I came up and we did a sunset kayak tour of the river, the backwaters last night. Of the uh, of the Murray. Yes. Yeah.
1: And a lot of water in the Murray, I suppose. But you're what you're in an Anna branch or two, were you? Or...
6: Yes, just the backwaters. It was just beautiful. It was a little bit windy, but in the backwaters it was dead calm and. Yeah. And I'm up here and there's nobody in the main road. There's pipe music that goes all day, all night.
1: I can hear it. I can hear <laughs> yeah. it. I can hear it. You're outside, are you?
6: Yes, in the phone box.
1: Oh, you're in the phone box?
6: Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, you little chanty. <laughs> Good on you.
6: Yeah, it was one of my bucket list things I had to do. Yes. had to ring you from a phone box.
1: Do you go kayaking a lot, Kerry?
6: Not as much as I'd like, but mm. yeah, I do. As often as I can.
1: Well, Easter's a good time for that, isn't
6: it? It is. Yeah. Get
1: a few days off and uh, yeah, think about and when you're on the river, river you can contemplate, uh, you know, um, life really, can't you? Float along and just. Yep. It's um it's it's nice to be able to do that. I think just to take time to do nothing and think about life and things, not too deeply, of course.
6: And the guy (laughs) that took us on the tour, um, he was very knowledgeable and. Chatted the whole way, and there's only four of us on
1: the tour. It was great. There you go. Well, well, you're in the photos. phone box, Kerry. I'd like to, uh, if you um, stay on the line, I'd like to give you a, a T-shirt, uh, straight up, which has got a phone box on the front, apart from this coat of arms. and.
6: Oh, great. Um, I'd love that. Yeah,
1: all right. Well, look, you stay on the line, and yep. you talk to uh, Kel, and yep. she'll uh, take down your particulars, and uh, we'll get it going, okay?
6: Oh, good. Thanks very much.
1: You're our first... Uh, phone box caller of the morning, which is, <laughs> no, I always like phone box callers. It's nice to be outside, isn't it? Yeah. I, I like using the phone box. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I like using the phone box. I think it's great.
6: Yeah. Thanks very much, Mecca.
1: All right, Kerry, what did you see on the Murray? Anything interesting you need to tell us?
6: Oh, um, there was some little, there was a little mouse, because we got back it was dark. Uh.
1: There
7: was a
6: little mouse swimming across the river, <laughs> right in front of my kayak. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, a little mouse. And yeah, saw lots of birds and oh the sunset was just beautiful. We got out on a sandbank and had uh he had a cup of tea for us, coffee, biscuits, dried local dried fruit. Oh beautiful. It was just beautiful. I'm, yeah.
1: I'm gonna go to South Australia as soon as I get on the first first opportunity. <laughs> Good on you, carry, hang on the line
6: there. Great, thanks very much.
1: It's a pleasure. Bye.
8: G'day, Macca. It's Kieran calling from Lake Argyle in the phone box. How you going,
1: mate? <laughs> I'm all right, Kieran. I don't know, where's the phone box at Lake Argyle? In the right
8: p- at the front of the caravan park.
1: Oh, I see. Yes, go on. Yeah. What, what are you doing there, Kieran?
8: Um, we've just come over here with some friends for the weekend from Darwin, so we um, yeah camped up here at the caravan park and we're just doing a bit of touring around after the good wet season up here.
1: So you came across—that's a fair trip. You went through Victoria River crossing and all that sort of stuff.
8: Yeah, we've had a look. Yeah, the the water had come up really high there. You sort of we went across it on uh, Friday there, and just when you're going over the bridge, you could just see all the reeds in the tops of the trees, like how how high the water was. It's just
1: crazy. Wow. And it's it's gone down now, of course.
8: Yeah, it's gone down. Like it's just yeah, it's all gone now. But you can just see the damage and the. We're, the height of it, what it got to, it's just unbelievable.
1: So, how long's the trip from Darwin to um, uh, Lake Argyle around, takes?
8: Around eight hours.
1: Mm.
8: We, um, we we shot down Thursday night and sort of done two hours and camped just out of Catherine the night, and then um, got up first thing in the morning and shot through from there.
1: Uh, well, that sounds like a, a great thing. What's Lake Argyle look like?
8: It's beautiful at the moment. It's um pretty much well at it's full capacity at the moment, so I think that's it's the first time it's been like that in a fair few years, so it's um yeah, it's really good at the moment, so it's nice.
1: And Kieran, what do you do in Darwin?
8: Um, I'm a plumber. Mm. Yeah, so we um company I work for, we based in Humpty Doo and we fly out to all the communities, um, sort of all around Arnhem. Arnhem Land, Elko Island, um South Goulburn Island um Tiwi Islands and just all, sort of everywhere doing new houses for the indigenous communities.
1: And how how long you been doing that?
8: Um uh, past year, bit over a year so um it's been good, yeah.
1: Well, I'd like to be in the in the phone box at uh, Lake Argyle this morning, It'd be a nice place to be. Um go for a go for a paddle, go for a You got a boat with you?
8: No, nah, we don't. We don't. We, we've um yeah there's boats there you can hire and go out in the lake and you can do a sunset cruise that we've done that done that before a couple of years ago, and that was beautiful yeah
1: It's a big body of water, isn't it it's huge like oh, a sea
8: my oath it is it's um yeah it's a remarkable place. you sort of look at the landscape and it's just like it's just like artwork, just the paint like it's just amazing yeah.
1: It is, it is. I went out in there for a, a little while uh, a couple of years ago when they had the uh, Lake Argyle swim. Is that still on? Do they still have that yeah, lake? they
8: Yeah, I think they still run that, yeah. I think it's a bit late. I'm not sure what time of the year they do it. It's sort of more, it's a bit more later in the season, I think.
1: Yeah. Kieran, good no, on you, mate. And early nice to, in the season. Yeah, nice to talk to you. So, you, what, you turn around and go home tomorrow or something, do you? Or? Yeah,
8: tomorrow we'll go down. Um, we're working down at Daily Waters this week, so um, we're going to camp in our caravan down there and do some work there and then head back up to Darwin at the end of the week.
1: Water's your um, your um, milieu, isn't it, if you like? You uh, you and water go together, you plumbers?
8: Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Plumbing
1: doctor, (laughs) yeah, trying to keep the water at bay.
8: That's right, Baka.
1: But it finds its way, doesn't it? Water finds its way.
8: Yes, that's right. It'll it'll make its way wherever it wants to. Yeah,
1: it'll it'll find a leak. Quick start.
8: Yes, exactly right.
1: Good on you, Kieran. Great to talk to you, mate.
8: Yep, you too, mate. All the
1: best. Yeah, how's things in Darwin?
8: Yep, it's going along pretty well. It's starting to get into the sort of busy season now, so the weather's sort of getting a bit more dry drier now. So, um yeah, no, nah, it'll be should be a good season again, I'd dare say.
1: Was it a good wet was it a big wet or just an average wet?
8: Yeah, it was a pretty big wet. We got a fair dose of rain there sort of over Christmas and then a bit afterwards. It's still raining a bit in the evenings now, so but um nah, it's starting to it's starting to definitely get that dry season weather again, so um, no, it'll be it'll be good.
1: Good on you, Kieran. Great to talk to you, mate. Thank you. See you
8: too, Macca. Thanks, Macca. See you. Bye.
1: <laughs> g'day. This is Macca.
9: Yeah. G'day, Macca. Greg McNeil from Kerrang, Northern Victoria. Yes, Greggy. Yeah, well, just let you know, we're starting our trip to get up to see our daughter, who's trying to get married for the third try with COVID, <laughs> upset of the first couple of years. we are heading to Canungra in the Kimberleys.
1: Not the third bloke. The third time.
9: <laughs> no, 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 he must be the right bloke. It's the third third time as you're sticking to the same fella. <laughs>
1: well, that's a long trip. That's a good trip, isn't it?
9: Well, it, it is, yes. It's, uh, hopefully, we'll get there by Friday afternoon of this coming week, hopefully.
1: Yeah, so you go across, what, across the Nullarbor and up the coast, or what do you do?
9: No, we'll go across to Port Augusta and then head up through Alice Springs, to Catherine, Yep. and then across the Victoria River.
1: Oh, yep. Oh, we just had a call from oh, we had a call from Lake Argyle this morning, but they'd just been through a big flood. They'd had big floods there, at Victoria River, you know, weeks ago. They
9: they did actually. They, my uh, future son-in-law was telling us that four meters, the water went four meters across the uh, the bridge. Unbelievable amount of water.
1: Wow. Because we we well, there's a there's a little resort there, a you know, little cabins and stuff there at Victoria River Crossing.
9: Oh. Yes, that's correct. That it went right up on the front lawn to just before the tavern. Wow,
1: gee, it's a lot of water, Greg.
9: <laughs> a lot of water. Yeah, we heard the fella from uh, from Argyle. Maybe Phil i think I'd give you a ring too, Macca. That's all. Yeah. Um, but yesterday, uh, yesterday we had our race meeting in Kerrang. and uh, yeah, I'm part of the committee there with the other committee, and we had a great day's racing, and uh, just was just another, you know, what we like to do for the community, volunteering.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and, and it's, a, it's a lovely time when people get together, always a lovely time, I reckon, Greg.
9: Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, our area, in Northern Victoria, it's an unbelievable the amount of people that come up to do different different activities, you know, from tennis tournaments on the river, regatta, Lake Berger. Unbelievable support we get from people uh, from everywhere, east of Easter Sunday, Easter Sunday Easter, over the east of
1: here. Did you watch um, Dubai Honour beat um, Animo? No. That, in the Queen Elizabeth stakes? You didn't have time.
9: Wonder, oh. one, no, sorry. I, Go on. It's, I'm cutting off there, mac. No, sorry. No, I was too busy involved with their own local me. I hardly uh, even seen a race be quite. Anime got beaten. Is that right? I didn't realise that.
1: Yeah, it came second. Um, no, it came third, actually. Uh, okay. Came third um, because uh, I think something, what came. There Was another horse came up, to, up, up uh, past it, but uh, I think it was, um, okay. yeah, it came third. But anyway, that's the way it goes.
9: That's the way it goes, Macca. <laughs> you can all get beaten, Cal. You know? Yeah, exactly.
3: <laughs> <laughs> on
9: the Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's that's what's going on. Our our daughters involved in the agriculture up, seen up there, uh, like uh, on the Order River, on uh, the old scheme up there, Macca, and they're getting into into the, the cotton in a big way, or they're hoping to. And they might build a cotton gin in the future, they're
1: telling us. There you go. That's the wife in the background I can hear there. Put her on, uh, please, Greg.
9: Yeah, Okay. She said, Jenny's the name, I'll put her on. That's the better half, absolutely.
3: (laughs) Good morning, Macca.
1: Hello, what's your name? Jenny. Hi, Jenny. How are
3: you? I'm really well, thank you.
1: That's good. And, And your daughter works on the Ord River, does she?
3: She does. She works for a couple of properties up there. She went back to school at 24 and did a business degree in um, uh, agriculture. Um, and yeah, that went up to Argyle to try and uh, to use that and utilise that course. So um, that's where she is and she stayed. Unfortunately, she fell in love with the only uh, culinarian, born <laughs> and bred culinarian up there. <laughs> Most of them are travelling, travelling nomads through Kununurra, but Mick is not. Mick is born and bred there. So. A Kununurrian. Uh, I
1: haven't heard them called Kununurrians before, but it sounds it sounds logical to me. Yeah, that's that's my
3: name for them. Yeah, um, Macca.
1: yeah. Yes. Yeah. Hobartians. So we, well, we miss it. Yeah, Hobartians and, you know, Adelaideans Hobartian. and Adelaideans <laughs> and Adelaideans and Canonarians. Yeah, we
3: miss it. We miss her terrible, but, terribly, but she, um, that's, she's very happy and loves it up in the Kimberleys, and well, so do we. Uh, well, the it's, Kimberleys
1: in, is amazing. it's interesting. We talked to Rob a couple of weeks ago. He, he was ringing us about his olive uh, plantation, but he did a he did an ag course too, and I recommend it to everybody. Not everybody, but you know what I mean. Sometimes kids are looking for a um, an opportunity or, or something to do in this world of all tech and watching computers. And I know you have to do that in any job, but by G, working in agriculture, and he just did—he just did a course at the Geelong Ag College, and now he's got a multi-million-dollar business growing olives. And uh, sounds like your daughter chose to pull the right rein too, and now she's uh, working in agriculture up there.
9: Matt, can I just come in there? What you're saying is 100% right. I think uh, there's not so many opportunities and different different portfolios in agriculture. You know, it's not just sitting on tractors or Sitting down milking cows is that much diverse part of what you can do with agriculture. I think it's an undersold industry actually. Beautiful opportunities going forward.
1: Round the world, you can travel the world, every bit, everywhere. Which, <coughs> especially in China, you go and ask lots of Australians who've worked in China till they weren't talking to us. But um, they <laughs> go, go over there and, and help them, you know, with their agriculture and their growing things. Australians, you know, have got lots of experience, and it all starts. Often, it starts in, uh, in with an ag degree or the humble agriculture co- college. Not so humble.
9: <laughs> anyway, look, look we'll uh, you might have other calls, Matt. But anyway, that's our that's our trip, and uh, we hopefully will get into some lovely weather. It's quite cool here at the moment, so lovely weather when we get north.
1: Well, take care, Jenny and uh, Greg. Nice to talk to you this morning.
3: Well, in in saying that, Macca, we've got quite a contingent heading up just to Kananara from the wedding, for the wedding. Mm -hmm. Um, There's already two lots of caravans headed off two weeks ago. There's two, three more heading off tomorrow, all going up to the wedding, all travelling up by vans to the wedding, so... um,
1: yeah, as I said, we've been trying to get this girl married for three years um, and they're all coming to celebrate it, which is wonderful. <laughs> Sounds
3: like a great time. You'll have a great time. Give us a ring. Good on you.
0: Thank, Thank you. you, Maka. Bye-bye. Bye. Hello, Hi, Maka. It's Eric here. I'm calling from Tasmania and I've got a bit of an information about auroras for you.
1: Oh, the Aurora Australis. All started because a bloke rang us from the Northern Lights in Alaska last week, or the week before, I think. Tony, and uh, people have been saying, well, yeah, but that's the Aurora Borealis, but what about the Aurora Australis? That's what uh, Kenny said uh, a little while ago. So you're going to tell us the deal, are you, Eric? Uh, yeah, I can
0: tell you a bit more about it. It's uh, visible in Astri- in uh, Tasmania uh, very strongly. Um, there's a, If people want to find out more about it, there is a Facebook group called Aurora Australis Tasmania and we have over 160,000 members and they're all very keen on looking at the aurora.
1: 160,000?
0: 160,000, that's right. And and there's uh, another group, uh, an alert group, where people go out, when they see an aurora, they post a photo and tell everybody that there's an aurora happening right now. Um, So we get people jumping in cars and they drive all over Tasmania looking for spots um, trying to see the aurora. And at the moment, uh, the aurora is getting a lot stronger. It goes in a, um, I think it's an 11-year cycle. And we're just coming up into a, into this part of the cycle where the aurora is the strongest. And uh, we've had quite a few this year already, but unfortunately, um, I haven't been able to see it because... Usually there's uh, a strong cloud cover and the aurora's behind the clouds. Well,
1: uh, that song by Johnny Horton, um, which I know because I grew up with it north of Alaska, and the line goes, where the northern lights are running wild in the land of the midnight sun. So obviously the Borealis is a lot easier to see than Aurora Australis. A bit like, I suppose, uh, Halley's Comet every 76 years, some years apparently, um, because... Usually we're not around to see it twice, uh, but um, uh, sometimes it's really, apparently from reading records, it's really strong and there's a comet right across the sky for nights. And then uh, when I saw it in 80, when it was 86 or something, I'm not sure, um, it was quite weak and not at all. But And so you have to be lucky, I suppose, to see Aurora Australis.
0: Yeah, well, there is a, um, there, there's, uh, predicting it is a bit like, uh, it's a bit hit and miss. It could be a very, very strong aurora and uh, we don't see it. The moon might be too strong or it might be behind clouds. Um, we actually bought our property because it's got a, it's fairly high up and we've got a view to the south. So we get a very good uh, view
1: of, of auroras. Is that why Is that why you bought your place? That's one of the reasons, Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, we're, a, we're a bit more. You're, a bit an, more, but, you're yeah. an Aurora Australis.
1: <clears throat> Excuse me, tragic, uh, Eric, I'd say. Uh, yeah,
0: absolutely. <laughs> and uh, we even um, uh, used, or in winter, uh, nice crisp nights, and it's bloody cold sitting out there in, in a paddock looking for uh, the Aurora. Uh, so we thought, oh, we'll build a little uh, shelter. And. <laughs> That was going to be very, very expensive. So we bought an old bus and I converted it into a uh, nice, comfy little aurora viewing platform where we can sit in comfort, have a beer, take photographs, and be nice and warm.
1: That sounds like a fabulous thing, Eric. I'd love to join you. But uh, when is the best time to see it? Uh, it's. It happens. There is no best time, really. Uh, it
0: happens all the year round. Um, all over Tasmania, you can see it. There's no best place. Um, although a lot of people go up to Mount Wellington and, and down south, but when there's a strong aurora happening, uh, you can see it from anywhere where you've got a high vantage point and a, view, a clear view to the south.
1: Eric, uh, you'll ring us on the first opportunity. As soon as you see one, or you're 160,000 <laughs> 160, on Facebook. Wow. Yeah,
0: that's, it's a big group. Yeah. Um, and the, the lady who, who started off the group. She's a bit famous in Aurora circles, Margaret Sonneman, and she's written a big book about it. All
1: right. So
0: um, that, that book would tell you everything you ever wanted to know about auroras.
1: And probably stuff you don't want to know as well. Uh, Eric, good on you, <laughs> mate. It's uh, nice to talk to you. And, uh, yes, uh, I suppose you're just eagerly anticipating in your place which faces south looking for the Aurora Australis. Can you, see, you obviously can't see it anywhere else in the world, can you? Because otherwise it wouldn't be called Aurora Australis.
0: Uh, well, it's, it happens on the uh, on the South Pole, but mm-hmm. we can see it. Um, you know, in, if it's a very very strong aurora, a um, couple of months ago it was seen as far north as Zubo. Um, so in southern Australia, um, it can be it can be viewed if it's very strong. Now, most of the time you won't see it with a naked eye, uh, oh, and you geez. need a camera to wow. uh, to capture it a lot of the new phones are good enough to capture it but um the, the really you know, a good camera uh tripod eric- and if you're very very lucky and have no cloud you'll see it with a naked eye if it's
1: strong eric you could probably tell me about this uh, eclipse of the sun which is happening on the 20th of april and apparently You'll see that best in Western Australia, and I think Exmouth has said, "Come to Exmouth and watch it." And I think it only lasts for sixty-two seconds, so you'll uh, you'll be interested in that too, I suppose, as being a sky watcher.
0: Yeah, I've heard uh, I've heard about it. Don't know too much about it, um, but we you know, just mainly do uh, auroras and the Milky Way. We, we get very very good night sky photography here too.
1: Good on you, Eric. Great to talk to you, mate. Thanks very much, hacker.
2: Hey, Macca, it's Harry Haywood. How are you going from Habana? Where are you? Where are you, Harry? In in Habana. It's it's in Mackay, in North Queensland.
1: Uh huh.
2: A little um, cane, like there's heaps of sugar cane and all that around here. Um, yeah, it's pretty good out here. I like living here. So
1: I'm just
2: <laughs> I'm I'm just sitting out the back here with me mate, Klaus, and um me granny and me mum and dad.
1: And and yeah. what? Yeah, sugar cane round there, Habana. Right? Is it? Is it?
2: Yeah, we, we've got sugar cane near us and Mr. Denman's got a few cattle in the paddock next to us. And um, yeah, it's pretty green up here. We had a big rainstorm come through on, fr- on Friday. Was it on Friday? Yeah, on Friday we had 35 mil in it. So I, I had a few people coming over and it, it absolutely bucketed down. We nearly had to cancel the party and everything.
1: <laughs> oh, that'd be terrible. Uh, yeah, but terrible. Uh, we've had a lot of rain these last years. You, you've had a lot up there, I suppose, have you, in North Queensland?
2: Well, well, Mr. Denman has been here for, for since he was born, and he's nearly 90, and he reckons this is one of the driest wet seasons he's ever seen. We're, we, we, were, we were spraying sickle pod around the other day, getting rid of it. It's a really bad weed. There's not much of it here, but we, you have to go and look for it, you know? Mm. And we were crossing gullies that this time of year, you shouldn't even be crossing them in the four-wheeler, you know? Yeah. So he reckons it's pretty dry, but everything's green. There's a fair bit of feed around. But um, yeah, and and even out bush, I spend a bit of time out bush, and, it, and it's all nice and lovely and green out there at the moment. I got I got two of my mates coming in from Beam Booner this afternoon. They they done the track adjuster on the dozer on the D10, and they they're, they're coming in to, to have a beer with me the savi. They reckon so.
1: Well, that's what you so, do at Easter. You just get together. I think Harry, don't you?
2: Yeah, I like getting together with all my mates. I don't have many, but yeah.
1: <laughs> well. <laughs>
2: As long but as you've I, got I just,
1: good ones, yeah. I just,
2: yeah, i got a couple of good ones. I just wanted to give a give a bit of a g'day to all, all the boys on the drag lines today at Goon Yeller, if any of them are listening.
1: And where's Goon Yeller?
2: Oh, Goon Yeller near Moorambah. It's the big mine there.
1: Are you worked there, Harry?
2: Yeah, I work there, yeah.
1: But you got I, the week, got, you got a few I, days off, have you?
2: Yeah, I got Easter off and I'll go back Monday for night shift. I was talking
1: but, the other day, I was waiting to get a cup of coffee uh, the other evening and and some of the um, um, ambulance blokes came in to get a coffee too, and one was standing there waiting with me, and, and I just was talking to him. And I think he said they do four on and four of six off yeah, or something. They, but the, I think they must work 24 hours in a ship, shift or something. I don't know. They're on for the whole four days, I think.
2: Yeah, that, they'd probably be them ERT fellas, the rescue fellas, I think. Yeah, yeah they do five. Yeah, I don't know. I've got a couple of my mates are in ERT at Newlands, the other mine I used to work at, but I don't, I don't see them much anymore because I've changed onto a different roster.
1: But. Harry, great to talk to you. Enjoy your party. Enjoy catching up with your mates. And uh, yeah, it's <laughs> great to talk to you, mate.
2: No, no worries, Macca. I've been trying to get on here you for a while. Even when I'm at, out at work, I had, a, I had a morning where I was spare once. And, um, and I nearly got on to you, and then my supervisor got me a job as I was about to say get to you, and I had to hang up.
1: Oh, I hate that. I hate that, yeah.
2: Uh, it, <laughs> Aston's out at Claremont now working, working on a property on his days off, so thanks for that, Aston, <laughs> if you remember. <laughs> good on you, Harry. Good, good on you. See you, Macca.
1: Grant's in Picton. That's New South Wales. Good morning, Grant. How are you going, Macup? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate.
7: Yeah just thought uh, I wanted to ring up today, mate, just to give a little cheerio for my uh my wife's uncle. We're having a little party for him today. And yeah. uh he's turning 100, mate. So uh yeah, his name's Fred Denny. So we're having a little little party for him at the agricultural hall at, at Picton Oval. Oh, there you and go. uh yeah.
1: And how's he getting
7: on? Mate, he's uh, he's going pretty well. He he still lives at home, and uh, he still he still looks after himself. And uh, now he's uh, yeah, he's a bit of an amazing character, actually. He's he's I think he's only one of three left now from the uh, mice of Moresby. So um, the,
1: the what yeah. the mice of Moresby?
7: He, yeah, they're known as the mice of Moresby.
1: Yeah, yeah
7: during the Kokoda campaign and the. The Northern Beaches, I think they call it. Then, yeah. So, uh, yeah, he's uh, there's only three of them left, I think now. So, um, but uh, mate, he's going all he's going good.
1: The mice of Moresby. I suppose there's a story about that. Is there somewhere on the on the net yeah, or is there mate, a book about them?
7: Yeah, yeah. The uh, uh, the Japanese called them the the mice of Moresby, I believe, because. Uh, they were the, the sons of the rats at Tobruk.
1: <laughs>
7: so yeah. yeah you had the uh, you had our fellas into Tobruk uh with the germans and um and these guys were uh, up against the japanese and the japanese gave them that gave them that uh that nickname wow so yeah so uh and there's only uh there's only three of them left there now, so i think believe yeah, so they're all they're all they're all
1: around that age too, mate. So the agricultural hall at Picton Showground today is that right? Yeah, mate. Yeah, it's uh, at twelve thirty. We, we we we're gathering there. So well, there's, um, there's a lot more people now, isn't there? Well, it seems, I don't know. It seems maybe just ring me, but more people are living to a hundred. Doesn't mean that um, we're all going to live to a hundred. But um, that they're they're of a certain age, aren't they? Certain vintage are born at a certain time. Maybe and they ate differently, probably and. Did did Freddie smoke and drink, or what was his story? Uh,
7: yeah, he doesn't mind. Uh, I don't know if he ever smoked, mate, but uh, he certainly doesn't mind a uh, a drop. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> he, uh, he, he grew up in um, he grew up in Thorme, which is a town just just close by to Picton. Yeah. So uh, yeah, he uh, times were uh, times were somewhat more difficult. Uh, Back then, mate, a hundred years ago in Thelmy, so
1: that's that's where the um, uh, rail the rail museum, isn't it, Thelmy?
7: That's right, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's uh, yeah, and, and he still lives there. So um, yeah, well, have a great letter.
1: He's it'll, it'll be a great day, mate. Sing him happy birthday for me, and yeah, enjoy. It'll be a great day.
7: Oh, it will be a great day, mate. I, I imagine he'll, he gets his letter today as well. I think so.
1: From the king. And,
7: um, yeah, from the Kings. <laughs> there
1: you go. Yeah. Good was, on you, Grant. Uh, Great to talk to nah. you, mate. Thanks very much. Cheers for that, mate. Good you on have you. Have a good day too. See ya. Bye. Bye.
0: You've been listening to an ABC podcast.